For the first time ever in the United States, unmarried women outnumber married women. And when I read the literature on this phenomenon, Pastor John, what is what is often applauded is the liberation of women who have escaped the, the cultural norms of the shackles of marriage and expectations of children in order to be free from these so-called oppressions. Uh, that That's putting it rather bluntly, but that's the tenor of, of the literature. There are other factors here, of course, including male immaturity. For now, the, the freedom language is very thick. That's what I want to address here today in this episode, because the more books I read, the more I sincerely don't think that modern-day feminists know that 1 Corinthians 7 exists uh, and, and that you know, the, the Bible commends lifelong singleness on purpose, for a purpose, of course. But many feminists seem to assume that the default position of the Bible and the church is that all women are to find meaning and purpose in marriage and that's simply not exclusively true. So how would you explain 1 Corinthians 7 and Paul's words to unmarried women to the women's liberation movement today? Well, um, I don't know if this is going to get at it exactly the way you would get at it. You, sh- you should probably do this podcast because <laughs> you, you've clearly thought a lot about this. So that's great. But I, I, sa- I sat here and I thought, I thought, let me come at, let me come at. 1 Corinthians 7 in a roundabout way. And I think if I do it this way, it might open up people to some unexpected things in the chapter that that they're not as uh, familiar with. It seems to me that we are trying to avoid a misunderstanding on two fronts. The one front is the misunderstanding of marriage as bondage and oppression. And on the other front, is the misunderstanding of singleness as liberation and freedom. But the reality is that pursuing the unfettered autonomy of singleness may be a deeper bondage, and embracing the sorrows of a disappointing marriage may be a more profound freedom. Now, of course, that way of talking, that way of seeing the world makes no sense to those who define freedom as doing whatever you feel like doing when you feel like doing it. But thoughtful people don't define freedom or liberation that way. That kind of freedom will get children killed by running out in the street or putting their finger in an electric socket because they feel like it right now. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. That kind of freedom leads to thousands of free people being in the state penitentiary. It it leads to thousands more being in bondage to venereal disease and thousands more leaving a carnage of broken relationships behind them. Doing what you feel like doing when you feel like doing it has never proved to be a life of liberation, but only bondage. True freedom isn't just doing what you want to do, period. It's doing what you want to do and wanting what you ought to do. In other words, there's something crucial that defines freedom underneath want to and feel like, namely ought to and the person you were meant to be. And of course, as soon as you bring an ought to onto the table or a 
person you were made to be, we're confronted immediately with a higher or deeper authority than ourselves, namely God. There can be no true freedom when a person tries to ignore God's design for their life. Just like you, you, there's no true freedom if you try to ignore the law of gravity. If you jump off a cliff, you may feel the exhilaration of freedom for three or four seconds. Then you die. And living your life without reference to God is like jumping off a cliff. Just takes a little longer to hit bottom, but you will. So now we come to 1 Corinthians 7. Yes, it, it does have to do with 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul deals with two issues. One is marriage and singleness, and the other is slaves who get converted to Jesus, and the question is whether they should stay in their present condition or not. And it's very interesting to me that those two issues happen to land interwoven in the same chapter. So he says to slaves, and this is going to be relevant for marriage and singleness, he says to slaves, were you a slave when called, that is, called to be a Christian? Do not be concerned about it. And then parenthesis, but if you can get your freedom, avail yourself of it. For the reason you shouldn't be too concerned about spending your life, even if you have to, in the present difficult situation. For he who, who is called in the Lord is a slave, as a slave, is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called, namely to be a Christian, is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price, that is, the blood of Jesus, so do not become slaves of men. Now, there's the key to the Christian life and to all of our relationships, including singleness and marriage. What makes for true freedom is belonging to Jesus who bought us with his blood, who owns us by purchase, who loves us, who designs the best life for us, the most beautiful life for us, and who will bring us to everlasting and deepest possible joy. That is freedom, which means that if we are in a painful relationship like slavery or a deeply disappointing marriage, and we are uh, there with Jesus, belonging to Jesus, owned by Jesus, loved by Jesus, getting help from Jesus, experiencing his fellowship, enjoying his guidance, following his will, we are walking in great freedom. That's why I said at the beginning, there may be more freedom by embracing a painful relationship than in embracing unfettered autonomy. It also means that if we are free from all human commitments and restraints and living a life of unfettered autonomy, not submitting to Jesus, not enjoying his fellowship, we are in the profoundest bondage to sin and selfishness, and we will hit the bottom of the cliff sooner or later.
So this is the principle that Paul applies in 1 Corinthians 7 to marriage and singleness. He loves his singleness. He wishes others could have this particular life of Christian freedom. This, this is what you were talking about at the beginning, Tony, when you yeah, said exactly. uh, people don't even know that this, this is in the Bible, that the exaltation of a life of devoted singleness is there rather than idealizing marriage as the only way to live. Amazingly, he says, 1 Corinthians 7, 7, I wish that all of you were as I myself am. Well, you you crazy, Paul. There wouldn't be any babies if we were all single. But he says it. But each has his own gift from God, one kind or another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to remain single as I am. And then he adds, lest we draw the wrong inference, he's not telling anyone, he says, not to marry. So verse 36, it's amazing how he starts and ends with this kind of thing. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let him marry, it is no sin. So he's not condemning marriage. He's just exulting in his singleness and wishing others could join him in it. Well, what? here's the question. What makes his singleness so great in his, in his mind? What should make it great in our minds? It's because singleness offered him a, a unique experience of devotion to the Lord. He said, I say this for your own benefit not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. There's the bottom line of freedom, devotion to the Lord, belonging to the Lord, living in joyful submission to the Lord who loved us and gave himself for us. So when Paul says that marrying is no sin and singleness provides undivided devotion to the Lord, he's not saying that marriage means you don't walk as closely with the Lord or depend as deeply on the Lord or enjoy the Lord with less sweetness of fellowship. He means the challenges in both states— marriage and singleness, the challenges in both states are different, very different. There are unique distractions in marriage. That's what he's drawing attention to in particular. There are unique distractions in marriage that we must guard against lest our hearts be divided and the Lord takes second place. But I think if we pushed on Paul, he would say, There are other kinds of distractions for single people that require similar vigilance. So the point is Christian freedom, whether in lifelong commitment to marriage or in a a lifelong state of singleness, means belonging utterly to the risen Lord Jesus, trusting him completely with our lives, submitting all our decisions to his will, enjoying all his fellowship, expecting all his promises of help and finding ourselves wonderfully useful in our marriage or in our singleness in serving other people. So yes 
Tony. I do encourage people to go deep into 1 Corinthians 7. I I think there are profound things there about marriage, about singleness, because there are profound things there about the lordship of Christ and what it means to be totally his and totally free. Amen. Thank you for addressing this crucial chapter, especially as younger Christians face these new cultural temptations. It's uh, it's good to see the depth of Scripture in this profound chapter on self-giving. And uh, I mean, that, that's what I was looking for. Whether by marriage or by singleness, true freedom is self-giving. Well, we're going to break for the weekend now, and you can look back on the episodes from this fruitful week and uh, search our archive of hundreds of episodes in our landing page, go to desiringgod.org forward slash ask Pastor John. Feel free to take some time this weekend to search our collection of episodes. You can even ask John Piper a question, get the free apps, or subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast app. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. I'll see you on Monday when we talk productivity with Pastor John.